You're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show. Week six in college football was one of the craziest in recent memory. And we have to start at the top, not even a ranked matchup from last week, but we have to start with a big one. Alabama. Anytime Alabama loses a regular season game, it is a huge deal. Um, but Alabama was knocked off by Texas A&M 41-38 um, behind an otherworldly performance, a career day for backup quarterback for the Aggies, Zach Calzada. Yeah, I was very quick to slam the fraud tag on Texas A&M last week. They go out, they beat Alabama. Doesn't mean doesn't mean anything to me. They're four and two. This they finally got a, a win worth worthwhile and worth putting them in the top 25, but they did exactly what you need to do against a Nick Saban team. You jump out early, play solid defense through the first half, build that confidence, get the home crowd in it, and then, you know, take take a big day from Calzada, 21 of 31, 285 yards, three touchdowns. Most importantly, just the one interception. He matched basically Bryce Young throughout most of the game. Obviously, Young had 369 yards comparatively, but three touchdowns and one interception. If you can match Alabama's quarterback, you're going to have a decent chance at winning a ball game, especially uh, recent versions of Alabama. And then nailing the kick at the end of the game, when we've seen in both college and the NFL this past week, kickers really struggling. That was a, a big time, big time onions move there as uh, we inch closer to college basketball. I'll give my guy Raft a shout out. Nothing is guaranteed, certainly in the kicking game and now ending a couple of especially noteworthy streaks. Of course, first time Nick Saban has lost to a assi- former assistant of his. He was 24-0 coming into the game. And yeah. also Alabama had a 100-game winning streak against non-ranked opponents um, under Saban, which is just absurd. That also is snapped, although, of course, if you beat Alabama, you'll be ranked the next week as A&M is now at 21st. Um, but it's kind of weird because, you know, A&M had been underachieving so much to the level that many of us wanted to put the fraud tag on them. But coming into the season, this was something we were kind of expecting to see. Like, by and large, A&M was shaping up and billed as the best team Jimbo has had in his tenure. This is the year they can challenge Alabama. Um, of course, some of that goes out the window when your starting quarterback goes down. But AM has had so much talent um, and does this year again up and down the roster that, you know, it's almost a little bit of a breakthrough. But as a fan, you would wish they hadn't stumbled so much to this point in the season. Yeah, you just wonder where they could be right now. If, uh, if that hadn't happened, like the top five is very much in flux. Like you could make an art. I mean, and I'm sure voters would, but like a, a, maybe a one or one loss Texas A&M team with a win over Alabama is above Oklahoma at this point in the rankings. I mean, there is something to be said uh, about where this A&M team could be had they hey, started off the season as we had expected. But two losses, they're, they're still very much in the conversation for New Year's Six Bowl at this rate. They've got, you know, plenty of big games left on that schedule. They're going to be with wins in those games against the SEC West. They will be in the conversation, unfortunately, in the playoff above teams that uh, we wish would get a little more run, but they will probably be hanging around that top 15 area, top 10 potentially. Yeah, and I mean, 
the SEC West is as tough as ever this year, so certainly no guarantee that Alabama will make it through the rest of the regular season unscathed, which if A&M takes care of business would do wonders for them um, in their hunt for, you know, an SEC title. Cause that's a lot more in play than people would have thought a week ago. Um, yeah. But huge results. Um, the rare circumstance of, talking shit about Nick Saban in Alabama and actually being able to follow through and not get embarrassed. So shout out Jimbo for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say quite makes all the money worth it, but it's a, uh, it's a step in the right direction. For sure. I think uh, for too long now, A&M has been embattled with the fact of they pay so much money for these coaches, but it comes down to the big games they can't get the wins. Like eight and three is great, but it doesn't get you, you know, it, it's not deserving of the five, six, seven million dollar contracts that you're making. <laughs> Obviously, uh, Jimbo has not had the the smoothest of tenures thus far at AM, but win over Alabama and win over Nick Saban certainly helps smooth some things out and uh, definitely rebuild some confidence and at least uh, excitement in the fan base, which I think. It's never, it's never missing when Alabama comes to town, but it's certainly missing following that, and I don't think that'll be the case for A&M until they stumble again, if they stumble again. I mean, it would be perfect to truly get good just in time for Texas to rejoin your conference and overshadow you. Yes. Um, not rooting for that to happen. It would just be funny. <laughs> Elsewhere, Georgia continue to roll, continue their – Strong play as, again, the most impressive team in the country to this point. Um, no trouble with Auburn a week after there was no trouble with Arkansas. And again, very clearly the best team in the country. Yeah. Bennett looked good. Uh, Zamir White, again, continued to, to run the ball well. Two touchdowns on 18 carries. And Bo Nix was Bo Nix. Like, this is the guy we expected. 21 of 38, 217 yards and an interception. That's what he does. Uh, hold, really holding down this Auburn offense, which has had problems for sure. I wouldn't say they're great. They're not anything special. It, it really relies on Nix to open things up. When they carry the ball 28 times for 39 yards, they're going to lose every single time. And, and that's what we saw here. But Really just another strong performance, very balanced offensive attack. And while Auburn did pick up 318 yards, it's not none of it really mattered because they were pretty comfortably ahead most of this game. And that's the thing. Like Auburn was as successful offensively as really any team has been against Georgia. They scored a touchdown on offense, only the second one that Georgia's given up. Yep. Um so like you have to really strain your neck, but you can find moral victory and, and positive things. Um, of course, if you're Auburn, that's really not a place you want to be, but that's just speaking to how good and how dominant Georgia has been defensively this year. Um, they have made every coach that has gone up against them just tear their hair out or have just ridiculous post-game press conferences like Shane Beamer. Um, but like, the, the offense has not had to feel any pressure. Um, that'll change, you know, 
Obviously, once they play the likes of Alabama, it'll be a little different look um, against Kentucky this week, and we'll talk about that later. But, uh, you know, it's a great place to be if you're Stetson Bennett. Um, The pressure, as we said, is absolutely not on you, and he's doing just enough, you know, very solid complimentary football. Um, You lean on Samir White. You lean on the backs. Yeah, strong receivers still. um, But you're not asked to do too much. And ultimately, like, you're not even the guy. Like, JT Daniels presumably at some point will be back. Um, But, yeah, I mean, these are top 10, top 20 teams that Georgia's playing, and they just seem to be coasting week in and week out, which, I mean, is as dominant as you can be. Yeah, it must be nice. I think a lot of teams <laughs> would love to do that. But they they have looked every bit the part of a number one team and, and rightfully get it this week. The Big Ten game of the week, Iowa-Penn State, top four matchup in Iowa City and was every bit the game that uh, we expected it to be. I think the over just barely hit, um, but 23-20 the final for Iowa But of course, we don't know exactly if that's a true reflection because, you know, it's Sean Clifford having a resurgent year left with Penn State up 17-3 and the offense was just never the same. Right. And, you know, he he wasn't necessarily playing well, but they were winning. I think it is just the the right way to look at it. He had two interceptions in this game, um, but Moving the ball against this Iowa defense that we've talked about week in and week out, they've been opportunistic, they've been strong, they have been a bend-don't-break unit really coming up big in the red zone specifically this season, and Penn State was able to get through that and really make plays when they needed to. Then all of a sudden, Iowa sort of wakes up in the second half, forces a few turnovers, and Petrus, when you need him, comes up with a couple big throws. Yeah, and as we've been saying, like this Iowa offense is not anything spectacular, but they will consistently win the battle of field position, whether it is generating turnovers or just in the punt game, um, consistently pinning Penn State back. Um, I think five drives for the backup quarterback, Roberson, who had a miserable day, 7 of 21, 34 yards, two picks. Five Mm -hmm. drives started inside the 10-yard line, um, and – Combine that with how ferocious, aggressive, attacking Iowa's defenses, you're not going to have any success offensively. And conversely, Penn State was able to take advantage, or Iowa rather, was able to take advantage of some short fields. Um, Petrus, big touchdown pass when they needed it. And I mean, Iowa gets out of here uh, with a victory. And you know, we're we're still talking about Iowa playing an ugly brand of football, um, but they are right where they should be in the polls um, until someone is able to actually knock them off. Yeah. Tough look storming the field, but you know what? It's Iowa. I happen. I'm, I'm okay with storming the field. Um, I think if you, and we've, we've been over this, but I think if you, if you win every, you know, college basketball game by a hundred and students want to storm the court, I don't care. Do it, whatever, have fun. Where I, what did draw some ire, and I don't know if this is apparently just a Big Ten West thing, because um, I had only ever seen it from Nebraska before. There were a couple instances during this game, and the discourse after has been just absolutely exhausting. But um, a couple instances of Penn State players um, getting injured, um, 
good ones too. Like Brisker, who has had nagging injuries in the back end of Penn State's uh, secondary all year, and kind of the reaction from the crowd is just to assume that players are faking it and to immediately start booing. Not, not a big fan of of that move at all because it is there's no payoff and. I mean, best case, you just look like an asshole. Yeah, and Kirk Ferentz backs up the crowd, which I guess should not be surprising in any any regard. You know, the classic, you know, I hope everyone's doing well. I don't know what their status is, but no one wants to see anyone get hurt. But I think the booing is just a reaction because, I mean, I guess I'll just read the quote since I'm halfway there. But I think probably the booing is a reaction to there were a couple of guys that were down for the count and then went, uh, then we're back a play or two later. Our fans aren't stupid. They're watching. They know what's going on. I've been here 23 years, and I think that's only the second time we've seen that kind of stuff going on. So almost flipping the script on Penn State and saying, like, hey, you know, we were booing. We hope you guys are okay. But at the same time, like, it's it's fishy how quickly you're coming back to play after these injuries. Yeah. Um, but also you can't say that you're not stupid and then – act like you are running Chip Kelly's offense at Oregon. Like this, right. is, this isn't, this isn't like high tempo, um, you know, not making any substitutions. Guys are just trying to um, catch their breath or, you know, slow down the tempo. Like right. this is Iowa. Like you will maybe run two plays in two minutes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that just didn't add up for me at all. And like, yeah, I, I don't know. Just just left a, a bad taste in my mouth, and I normally have nothing bad to say about Iowa people. Um, but it just you spend too much time in the corn, close to the corn huskers. I guess you potentially fall in danger of picking up some of their tendencies. So that is a that is a dark spot in a otherwise glorious day for Iowa football. Yeah, credit to them. Um, I mean. Just so many insane games Saturday. Uh, the Red River rivalry, on its own, always seems to be insanity. Um, but the latest chapters seem to have upped the ante even more. And once again, despite all of Texas's best efforts, despite Robinson, despite Casey Thompson having phenomenal games and getting out to a couple of big leads, Oklahoma just always finds a way to win this game. Oklahoma was dead. Like they were deader than dead at halftime. I don't remember what I had sent in our spread option chat, but Cooney and I had both said, this team stinks. They are done. Get them off the field. And next thing you know, Spencer Rattler goes out, Caleb Williams comes in, and new life is breathing this Oklahoma offense to the tune of 211 yards and two touchdowns for Williams in the air. Four carries, 88 yards for a touchdown, including a 66-yard run. Like, all of a sudden, the floodgates open offensively, and you really have to wonder, is where is Spencer Rattler going? I mean, the tweets were just brutal all day after that long touchdown throw that Williams had of Rattler entering the transfer portal jokes. But it's very much a conversation. Like, how, if you are Lincoln Riley, how do you go back? to Spencer Rattler at this point, who has had a thoroughly underwhelming season when Caleb Williams comes in cold off the bench and looks phenomenal against your biggest rival in a game that you were down double digits for the most, uh, for a vast majority of it. 
Yeah, that was a, a pretty weird move, not making Caleb Williams available post game, um, be interviewed on TV. But yeah, that like Radler has very much not lived up to the hype this season, and and then this game only kept that narrative going. Mm-hmm. Um, like there, there is never any defense in this game, um, and he was able to make Texas look pretty capable um, on that side of the ball, which. Really, they shouldn't be. Um, Kennedy Brooks had a massive game. Uh, Mims, especially after Williams came in, had a massive game. Um, but there were like, there's a lot of area to attack on this Texas defense. Radler just couldn't find it, um, and has struggled against some not great defenses this season as well. Yeah, it's it just feels inevitable that like Texas cannot be up by enough points. They're up twenty eight seven. They're up forty one twenty three. Like. Multiple times the game looked more than well in hand, but yeah, Oklahoma's got somebody on their bench always that they can bring in to beat you. Yeah, it's uh, what was it? Two scores in about four minutes to tie the game, and then immediately after they score again and take the lead. And, and Texas looks like they've just been gut punched. But uh, rat. <sighs> If they go back to Spencer Rattler, he will have a short leash. And if he gets pulled again, I think that is the end of him at Oklahoma. I wouldn't be surprised to see him head back to the state of Arizona, maybe ASU. Or does he go to uh, Ole Miss and try and get the lane treatment? But that's way too early to uh, be speculating on. I think in the end, Oklahoma is only going to win when they have the offense humming, as we've seen. Uh, they've they've figured out ways this season to get by, but like you said, the the opposition hasn't been great. They still have a bit of a uh, tough back end of the schedule with Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State to close. They they need every win they can get here because they can go into Bedlam against maybe a one loss or an undefeated Oklahoma State team. That would be that would be the game that put them into the playoff. Certainly. And I mean, scaring back to Radler for a second, he is very clearly not the first round NFL quarterback that he thought he was, but someone will still draft him there. And that's, that's just NFL GM brain. Like once someone is anointed, you ignore all other relevant data points. Um, It just turns into confirmation bias. So excited to see who does that. um, And Hopefully it's not the Bears. Even more, <laughs> it can't be the Bears. We don't have a first-round pick. Ah, well, can always trade back up. Oh God, no. Um, nothing. Nothing. Ryan Pace loves more than trading up to draft a running back, the most expendable position in the league. Mm-hmm. But anyway, another crazy game in the early window: Ole Miss, Arkansas, fifty-two, fifty-one final in favor of the Lane Train. Um, Stopping a potential game-winning two-point conversion with no time left on the clock. Um, defense more than optional in this game. Um, but it was a, uh, I think both ways with how competitive it was, how it really was down to the wire. This was a great bounce-back game for both teams after how last week went against Alabama and Georgia, respectively. No doubt about it. I think the worry for Arkansas was what you know is the offense really broken like can we figure this out and KJ Jefferson looked 
really good. Granted, Ole Miss defense, not that great. Um, he had six total touchdowns, three on the ground, three through the air. They, I mean, there were 1,287 total yards in this game. Arkansas had 38 first downs. Like, just absurd numbers coming out of this game. Um, but when it came down to it, it simply was who who could get the stop, who could get the last stop. I mean, there were three scores in the final minute and a half, and the play call for the two-point conversion was horrific. I mean, it you, you can't take away half the field like that. It, it makes it so easily defendable, and that's exactly what Arkansas did. I love the decision by Sam Pittman to go for two. I, I think – that is his his style and his brand of football, and I think it's an identity for Arkansas to live on. That they are run and gun kind of play to win the game. Don't don't worry about anything else. Um, but on the Ole Miss side, this is exactly what the doctor ordered as well. Like your offense is humming. It's it's back. It feels good. It is exactly where it needs to be. I think Lane and this offense should feel confident. Corral only threw the ball twenty one times, and they had their way offensively, um, putting up again, 600 plus yards of offense. So like you said, I think, I think it's a good bounce back for each team. Obviously for your Arkansas, you want to win that game, but I don't think you can really be mad at how it went down. You can, you can certainly be disappointed in the defensive output, but at the same time, you're going up against probably the best offense in the SEC. Yeah. And 324 rushing yards for Ole Miss. And like, if you're, if you're Arkansas, like, I, I know it, it would be very hard for like a, a true blue fan to sit down and admit this in their heart of hearts. But I mean, at this point you're playing with house money, like, Oh, no doubt. This is uh, the, the fact that you can be here, like actually very upset, fuming about losing, you know, a one point game to a top 20 team is beyond anyone's wildest dreams um, at the start of the season, outside of the people who just assume undefeated season national championship every year. Right. Um, I mean, this is a completely different looking team in every aspect um, from a couple years ago. Um, leaps and bounds better than they were last year um, when last year they were already ahead of schedule. And it's it's exciting to really not have a weak link in the sec west like obviously season two season there will have to be a team that is the worst like probably going to be lsu mississippi state jockeying back and forth for that this year but there is not a truly horrible team like the chad morris era arkansas razorbacks and every team at some point in the season can realistically be ranked and it be logical and make sense so Right. I think it's awesome for what has consistently been the, the best division in college football. Consistently good Arkansas um, is going to keep that level of play even higher, um, but still a little ahead of schedule. So for can't sure. be too mad here. That's the hope. But as we know, there is very little rationality in college. That's sports. asking a lot. Yeah, I know. I, I knew I said as soon as I said it, but <laughs> still. Still a belief I am holding. A plus um, awareness. Yeah. Uh, so those were the ranked games in Alabama going down um, in week six. Uh, the other noteworthy game just wanted to briefly mention, BYU no longer perfect. Um, 
a a very efficient team out west um, was anything but turned it over four times, losing 26-17 to Boise State. It was already a long shot that BYU would have any sort of um, playoff and with Cincinnati existing, New Year's Six consideration, but now there's super, super no chance of that happening. Yeah, it's all over. It would have been, it would have been nice, but, you know, I think BYU was certainly – a team as well that was ahead in their, I guess, rebuild. I don't, I don't necessarily know what to call it because you lose Zach Wilson, who's a you know a top five pick in the NFL draft. There's going to be a letdown, but we hadn't seen it yet. Not necessarily in regards to the offensive output because we certainly saw it there, but just team play overall. The defense was very solid, like you mentioned, offense super efficient and just took care of the ball. And then they they really didn't do that this week. Um, They've got a couple interesting games remaining on the schedule. I think there is a backdoor chance at like a, a big time bowl game here, but something tells me another loss in there. They're looking at like the Liberty Bowl or something on uh, early on. But that is at this point, that is what you're playing for is the bowl game. Yeah, I mean the the tier of bowls falls off a cliff very quickly for yeah uh, exactly you know group of five teams. Um, so yeah. That's something to look forward to. But again, this feels like another Arkansas situation. Like you lost Zach Wilson to even be in this position is uh, pretty remarkable. Right. Uh, right. But yeah, it's hard to hard to say to someone who just experienced a bitter defeat. So I will just say it to you. Yes. Um, all right. As we alluded to, a lighter week seven, probably less interesting, but you never know. You never know. That's why you got to keep watching. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when when you expect nothing to happen is when so very much does. Um, but game of the week is in the SEC East. Georgia, new number one, taking over for Alabama against number 11, Kentucky. Still perfect on the year. Just boat raced LSU 42-21 at home. Another potential death knell uh, for Coach O. And another data point in... Kentucky football's resurgence under Mark Stoops. Does Kentucky have any shot here? No. <laughs> I, I I say that hesitantly because I said the same thing about AM last week. Um, I, as long as you're on the field, you got a shot. But Will Levis looked much better last week. Three touchdowns, 14 to 17, 145 yards. Run game was very good, 329 yards on the ground, 7.3 yards a carry and three touchdowns. Their defense is solid. I think if you can stuff the run game against Georgia, you're going to have a chance. I don't know that they have the front seven to really match up with Georgia's offensive line, and I think the dogs are going to take it again. I think they win this one pretty comfortably. But if we see Will Levis really get going here, in the passing game, they will have a chance. I think uh, Kentucky really needs they, – they can't be as one-dimensional as they've been. We talk about it all the time, but they are the running game. And if they can't um, run the football, they're in huge trouble offensively. Like you said, Chris Rodriguez is a great back. Levis has wheels as well. They've got a couple other running backs like Smoke that can really carry the ball, but they – aren't much outside of that. And Wondell Robinson is great, 
but you got to be able to get him the ball. I mean, he's going to be keyed on very much in this uh, or by this Georgia secondary. I just think the dogs have too much. This should be a comfortable win. Trying to find that area of saying nice things about Kentucky while also acknowledging how much of a long shot this truly is right? uh, with how good Georgia has been. Kentucky runs the ball as well as anyone. Um, Rodriguez is the best back in the SEC this year, but that is what Georgia will automatically take away from you, um, just with their strength and athleticism in the front seven. Um, Mm -hmm. Mid Tank Bigsby, who's a top three running back in the SEC, looked very pedestrian last week. That shut down performances against teams like Clemson as well. And I know Tony Elliott's, Elliott's bunch is struggling this year, but historically that should at least count for something. Um, but yeah, like Kentucky is going to need a vertical passing game to be competitive in this. And I, I don't really see that happening. Georgia is going to have Kentucky much better scouted than LSU did. Um mm-hmm. Maybe you saw the post-game press conference where Coach O was kind of taken aback with Kentucky's running game when that's all they've been doing to people all year. Right. Um, yeah, so I just can't pick against Georgia here. Um, maybe progressively week over week with their blowout wins over ranked teams, this will continue to get closer, just as Auburn did from Arkansas. Um, but even so... I, I just I can't see Georgia losing this game. Yeah. It it would take it would take a lot <laughs> to to see that happen. Texas still in the top twenty-five, even after tough loss in the Red River rivalry, um, taking on Oklahoma State, who is sneaking into the top twelve um, like almost silently. Yeah. Very, very quietly. Um but Mike Gundy, staying around, staying relevant. Um, it it feels like because we've we've heard so much about Texas this year under Sarkeesian, almost nothing about Oklahoma State, save for a couple instances that a lot of people are still loving Texas here. Which way are you leaning? I'm taking the pokes. I, they have the best defense in the Big 12, and I don't think that Texas is ready for that. They will key in on Robinson, who has had a phenomenal season. But when you really look at it, uh, Casey Thompson really played well last week, but are you going to expect that week in and week out? I don't, I don't think he's shown the consistency yet, nor do I think going up against a better defense than Oklahoma, which obviously isn't a hard thing to do, but when you're going up against a a, a defense, excuse me, like Oklahoma State's that has really keyed in and locked down teams, allowing just 23 points at most this season, um, it's going to be tough for Texas to really break out. I think Spencer Sanders needs to improve and have a good game here. He has really struggled this season. But the run game, again, for uh, Oklahoma State has been solid, too. Jalen Warren really doing well this season, 512 yards, six touchdowns. I think it'll be a low-scoring game, certainly nowhere near the Red River rivalry, um, but I'm going to take Oklahoma State in a tight one. Yeah, Oklahoma State, the the 23 points, the only time they've allowed over 20 this season. The other side of that coin is they've only broken 30 points 
themselves once uh, against Kansas State. So it's uh, very atypical for Big 12 teams. Um, they've played very, very similar games each week um, and, you know, tossed out Missouri State, but every other opponent they've played is very solid. Um, certainly no gimme. So the overall resume that uh, Gundy has been building to this point is very impressive. Um, and this will be, I think, their biggest test in terms of will their makeup be sustainable over the course of a Big 12 season? Um, yeah. Because Sark is going to try to score in bunches as he is wont to do. Um, and Oklahoma State will have to find a way to withstand it because they have good Big 12 wins over Kansas State and Baylor. Neither of those teams are offensive juggernauts, certainly do not have a mind on their staff that is um, as accomplished as Sarkeesian in that regard. So that's really what I'm excited to see. And you're right, Sanders has to provide a little bit more on his end um, because the, the defense has been great, but you can't rely on them to, um, you know, keep every opposing offense down. There are going to have to be weeks where you show out. This is one of them um, to counteract what Texas is going to be able to do. Um, so I'm going to take Oklahoma State, but I think it's going to be very close. Yeah, something's got to give for the pokes on offense. Like that, They need to find a way to score. Like you said, it would be – it is a weird statement. It, not it would be. It is a weird statement to say a Mike Gundy offense has scored 30 points more than or just more than 30 points just once this season there, there we go i got it out um and that's what they've done but they are undefeated though that sentence would not make sense to someone even a few years ago this year it completely makes sense because the defense has just been that good yeah so that's uh that's the big 12 marquee game um certainly a little expected for texas but oklahoma state is another team a little under the radar in the preseason that is uh well surpassing expectations and has the potential for more mm -hmm. certainly that is it for this week uh we will be back later in the week for spread option um another tantalizing card awaits in week seven so we will break that down and uh go over week six um but till then we will be back here next week so we will see you then <laughs>